Hello, everyone. Welcome back to our AOC Payment Now podcast. I am Dr. Lok Lim, who is currently a media liaison for the AOC PMNR Residency Council. If uh, you are new here with us, uh, with the podcast, this podcast is a part of the AOC PMNR Fellowship podcast series, where we explore different subspecialty in PMNR and chat with current fellow as well as attending of those specific specialties about their unique experience as well as the career path. In this podcast, we are talking we are going to talk about the pediatric BMNR, which is a very unique view in the uh, BMNR specialty. Uh, with us here is Dr. Uh, Kuo, and, uh, who is a recent graduate fellow and current attending at the Baylor College of Medicine, BMNR, as well as at the Texas Children's Hospital. Thank you for being here with uh, us today. I'm very grateful that I could interview you here in the podcast. And I'm sorry, uh, if you don't mind, uh, can you uh, uh, pr- pronounce your name again and for the audience here? And uh, I'll, uh, I also want to ask a little bit more about yourself as well, follow up with that. Absolutely. So Cosmo uh, is my first name. I prefer uh, first name basis anyway. But yeah. if you have to call me by my last name, it's a quack, like a cooking walk with a, a K in front of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And uh, yeah, so it's is uh, is uh, just for the audience to know uh, to making sure that how they did how to call you uh, the correct way. So, <laughs> so um, would you mind to tell us a little bit about yourself, like uh, where are you from originally, and how did you decide to pursue me- a career in medicine? Yeah, I guess if we go all the way uh, back, I was born in Hong Kong. Um, Both my parents uh, were nurses and they met in nursing school in Hong Kong. Um, I moved to the States, uh, to New Jersey at five or six years old, right around uh, that winter. First time seeing snow, actually. Um, And I guess I... At a very early age, I was always um, already interested in um, medicine and wanted to be a doctor. Um, I think there was always a lot of like medical conversation at the dinner table with my parents being nurses. Um, went through school and uh, studied hard, I guess, and uh, um, that path never changed. The um, only thing that really interested me otherwise was perhaps teaching um, or uh, coaching athletics. And then I realized later on that you can be in academic medicine, still be that teacher um, and, you know, also work with adaptive sports, which I guess you may ask me about later. <laughs> I would definitely ask you about that later. And this yeah. one of the big things that you do, especially for uh, pediatric PMR as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what medical school and residency and fellowship uh, did you graduate from? And uh, right now at the uh, BMNR, the Baylor College of Medicine, what's your current positions? And can you explain a little bit about that position for the audience? Yeah, absolutely. So I went to medical school in New Jersey, uh, pretty close to my hometown. Um, and so undergrad, I went to Rutgers University. And the medical school, I went to, uh, oh, wow, I've already forgot what it was called. <laughs> um, uh, it was, it's New Jersey Medical School. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I first started, uh, it was, uh, oh yeah, it was UMDNJ, University of Medical, uh, Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey. But then while I was there, they changed their name to also Rutgers. So um, I also uh, uh, graduated from Rutgers, New, Jer- New Jersey Medical School. And that's the one in Newark. There's two. There's one in um, Newark and one in New Brunswick, New Jersey that are uh, actually separate. Um, and... Uh, actually, that's the uh, the school in Newark is affiliated with the Kessler Institute of Rehabilitation. So a lot of us in the class end up going into PMNR. Um, in my class, I think was we matched twelve um, uh, students out of like a normal class size, and that was considered actually below average. <laughs> um, I went on to do my intern year in internal medicine at Stony Brook University Hospital, uh, out in Stony Brook on Long Island, and then my um, uh, PMNR residency at the uh, North Shore LIJ program, which then added Hofstra onto their name. So I believe right now they're the Hofstra North Shore LIJ uh, program. And then I went on and did my uh, pediatric rehabilitation uh, fellowship in Colorado, uh, you know, under the University of Colorado, specifically at Children's Hospital Colorado. 
And after I graduated, I took a couple months off for some, uh, I guess, fun employment. Um, and then a couple months more delay for COVID, but that's okay. Uh, and then now I am a uh, assistant professor uh, in the Department of Pediatric uh, Rehabilitation Medicine at Texas Children's Hospital uh, under the umbrella of Baylor College of Medicine. All right. It sounds like a uh, uh, very long, like extensive uh, <laughs> resume that you just uh, uh, let the author know. But it's awesome that uh, you have uh, experienced like very early in the field of NR, especially mm-hmm. at the, uh, your medical school that linked with the Kessler rehabilitations. Yeah, that's very nice. And uh, what a I know that because you're with the early exposure, what are, what are what are some like the main reasons that you decided to specialize? Uh, in the PPNR as well, the, especially the pediatric PPNR. Yeah, good question. So going into medical school, well, I guess going a little bit farther back, uh, sports and um, athletics has always been a big interest of mine. I ran track, cross country, played a ton of basketball and would just casually play pick up whatever sport, literally everything with my friends and uh, whoever. Uh, and I knew that that was a big opportunity for me and helped shape who I am today. And so I wanted to uh, potentially do something with sports medicine and kind of with that interest of you know, teaching and uh, potentially coaching, I was like, oh, I kind of want to work with like high school, maybe middle school athletes. It's kind of like my dream job, not like the professional athletes. Uh, and I figured, man, I don't think I really want to do like a surgical lifestyle for like orthopedics and stuff. So um, going into that, <clears throat> I went into medical school with that mindset. And um, at NJMS, we had like a little soccer club that we would play. Uh, amongst uh, medical students, dental students, grad students, uh, sometimes faculty attendings, whoever, everybody on campus was welcome to join. And one of the graduating, uh, one of the fourth years that would be graduating that year, uh, they were applying into uh, physical medicine rehabilitation. And he's like, hey, Cosmo, you should look into this thing. This is kind of what you're interested in. Like, oh, okay. And that was pretty much how I discovered the field pretty early in first year of medical school. So I would say I was pretty lucky and was able to compare all my different rotations to um, PM&R. Um, and one of the things that actually came close was OB-GYN. And I realized that it was more the babies and um, the working with children that I was interested in. So I was lucky enough to also get into a pediatric rehab uh, rotation uh, as an elective. Did that with Dr. Um, uh, Mike Armento uh, in New Jersey loved it and was like, all right, well, I, I guess this is the path. And um, I would say at that point, I said I was 75 to a, a 80% sure I wanted to do it, but it was probably higher. Um, and I ended up uh, applying to residencies with the goal of fellowship in mind, but wanted a, a residency that still gave me a well-rounded education in uh, everything PM&R. Wow, that's a very, very uh, great story there. Like, uh, with the very early exposure to pediatric uh, mm-hmm. PMR as well. So I'm glad that you, uh, you have that strong interest in mind and actually like at the end and become a pediatric PMR as well, like achieve your dream basically, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as a pediatric PMR, what is the main role uh, of, uh, as a pediatric physiatrist in regard to like, the care of the, the pediatric populations and what are the type of patient population that you usually see on the day-to-day patients or taking care of? And um, what uh, all the medical specialty that um, you also work with, uh, interact with uh, in your workplace as well as a pediatric uh, physiatrist? Absolutely. So um, I guess to explain what I do, uh, I should probably first explain what physical medicine rehabilitation does. Uh, I know some of our audience are already residents, but for our medical students that are interested, physical medicine rehabilitation is a field where we work with patients that have either congenital on on the pediatric side or acquired um, disabilities. And our job is to maximize their function. Um, So one thing I don't, I don't, I usually say and joke about is, you know, the the rest of the doctors in the hospital, they save their lives, right? But then we save their functional lives and and that quality of life and um, those uh, things that really make somebody motivated to get out of bed. What are they looking forward to do? Um, And after a stroke or a brain injury or a spinal cord injury, those things look very different than what life was beforehand. Um, So whether on the adult side or the pediatric side, we are there to maximize function. So we use things like um, prescriptions for therapies, be it physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, et cetera. 
Uh, we will work with special equipment and prescribe those pieces such as medical, um, such as wheelchairs, um, uh, different medical devices that help with um, bathing, showering, toileting, those things that we all take for granted uh, of and that like, oh, I have this new weakness, I can't move my legs or my arms. How does taking care of myself look like before I can even tackle those, um, you know, recreation things for fun? Uh, those are super important. And uh, whether it be adult or pediatric, that's what we do. Uh, we also work with things called orthotics or braces, uh, such as those plastic pieces of things, uh, often plastic that go around the ankles to help um, give support. Um, and we also uh, prescribe medications for different specific rehab specific diagnoses, such as spasticity or muscle tightness, um, sleep issues, all sorts of things. We have a lot of overlap with um, neurology um, and sometimes psychiatry as well. Um, in that we touch base on a lot of things they do, um, but in a way we kind of take it to the next level and that this is, we are essentially their primary care person for their function. Um, on the pediatric side, it's a lot of the same diagnoses as the adults. So you've got the brain injuries, spinal cord injuries, um, strokes, those things all happen to uh, children as well. Um, we also work with prosthetic patients, so patients that are missing um, limbs. On the adult side, that's often um, acquired limb loss, such as diabetes or accidents, but a lot of children are uh, born without the limbs as well. Um, we also work with... Um, uh, I forget if I mentioned spinal cord injury. Um, on the pediatric specifically uh, side, there's a lot of congenital diseases that we still haven't like figured out what they are quite yet um, as we get more and more genetic uh, testing. We also work with people with muscular uh, diseases such as uh, muscular dystrophy, um, spinal muscular atrophy. Those are big growing fields in terms of where research is for um, uh, potential cures or disease modifying uh, realm or uh, medications. Um, our bread and butter on the pediatric side is probably cerebral, uh, cerebral palsy um, and other uh, related uh, disorders. Um, we also work with pain management that a little uh, overlaps with anesthesia a little bit as well. Um, we work with uh, electromyography, nerve conduction study uh, diagnostic um, testing that also overlaps with neurology, uh, depending on where you're at. Um, I'm sure there's a couple other things, but it's a very broad field. Uh, so we see all types of patients, but basically it's anybody who is not functioning to what their optimal uh, function may be and how do we help with that? Um, so um, I don't know if that answered all the parts of your question. I forgot. <laughs> yes, especially covering most of it, but uh, I, I believe oh, yes. that what you mean is that um, for the adult side, uh, for the adult population, basically whatever we do in BNR also covering for the, mm -hmm. the pediatric side as well. I think the main difference is that pediatric, they are like a growing um, uh, type of populations. So you have to adjust it based on their um, uh, level of uh, growth and like the aging and stuff. Is that, is that correctly describing that, Dr.? Absolutely. I think, I think you uh, really hit the nail on the um, uh, head there. You know, fortunately for our mothers, our uh, children are not born full adult size. That would make uh, uh, childbirth uh, very difficult. So they're born teeny, teeny little, little babies and they have a lot of growth and development to um, go through. Um, and, you know, we all know that uh, myelination doesn't always finish even in our by 18 years old, especially yeah. in us guys, we're a little slower. Um, so technically we're still developing a little bit past that like 18 years old uh, mark. And so um, that's one of the different challenges and things that we deal with on the pediatric side that uh, children are continuing to develop and grow. And, and, um, and that's why sometimes injuries to a very young child um, may have much different uh, functional outcomes than on the adult side because they haven't finished or even started a lot of their developmental process yet. Um, not to mention, you know, wheelchairs that we prescribe, they're going to grow out of them. Braces, they're going to grow out of those things as well. So um, that definitely plays a big role. 
I also didn't remember one of the parts of the question that you mentioned before, um, specialties that I interact with often. Yeah. Uh, on the pediatric side, we interact with the orthopedic surgeons and the neurosurgeons uh, a lot from those surgical subspecialties. Mm -hmm. A lot of our kiddos may need uh, shunts for um, hydrocephalus, so that's neurosurgery. A lot of our kiddos have scoliosis or other bony alignment issues, so we're often um, talking with orthopedics. Uh, and then from the medical side, we work very closely with neurology. Um, they help a lot with the diagnostic pieces, seizure management, um, those types of things. Um, and then, of course, we interact daily with physical therapists, occupational therapists, speech therapists, um, and neuropsychologists as well. Yes, yes. That's, that's cover everything <laughs> I, I asked for earlier. Yeah, thank you so much again. Uh, and, uh, you know, like treating kids is very much different from like treating adults, like, you know, like we discussed. Um, mm -hmm. I feel like it's even more challenging, even to feel like yeah. a, a PMDR as well. So uh, what kind of personality or like the quality uh, do you think a, a pediatric physiatrist should have in order to be like a successful um, pediatric uh, PMDR physician to take care of that, that type of patient populations? Absolutely. I mean, hard to say if it's really more challenging than the adult side. I guess that's a biases and, and what draws you into the field. Um, from a personality standpoint, I think somebody who obviously likes interacting with children is, is uh, very important. Um, I may be too interactive with the children. I end up playing a lot instead of getting work done, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, but I, I think I think that laid-back personality can help, but that doesn't mean somebody who's um, who's different from that can't uh, become a pediatric physiatrist. Um, I know a lot of my colleagues in residency and folks I've talked to, they love children, they like working with children, but they can't necessarily bear seeing children um, suffering or, or um, having troubled function. Uh, so they end up not going into pediatrics because that's just something that, that, that they can't take home. Um, and I think that's something that if somebody's really interested in working with children that in the medical field, I think it's important to get some of that exposure, get some of that um, um, experience to see if that is something that is, uh, is an issue you run, you run into um, or if it's something that you deal with much better. So I don't necessarily think that it's more challenging. I think it's just different. Um, and it's certainly going to be more challenging for somebody who's not used to it or haven't, hasn't trained in it. Um, but one of the one of the things that one of uh, my co-residents or one of the nurses I was working with asked me is like, "Aren't you afraid of working with the parents?" I'm like, "Well, there's always only really two parents, but all these uh, the older adult uh, folks in in our rehab unit, um, they have two grandchildren, three children. They have their spouses, and that's so that's a little more of a, a zoo to deal with sometimes." <laughs> that's true. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what, something that I like uh, when they ask you, like, how would you like deal with the parents wise? But uh, you're right, like, is uh, if you think about though, they have a lot more family uh, to deal with as well. Not like when you say maybe family is the thing that turn you in pediatric, but actually like, they'll also have family to deal with as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. totally agree with that. Uh, and uh, so I know that um, you as a pediatric PNR uh, right now, you're probably like working the field for a while now. So uh, what are some of the pros and cons uh, that you could tell a residents who are interested in mm -hmm. the field of pediatric PMNR if they like want to pursue that as a subspecialty? Absolutely. So I think the pros and cons, um, the We'll start with the pros. The pros are that my patients are much more adorable and more resilient than the adult side. So that's awesome. And I have a lot of fun uh, at work, uh, working with the kiddos. And it's, um, there's a lot less um, kind of BS, we'll say. And um, it's just, they're so resilient and it's just so fun to watch them um, really progress. And, and they are just so genuinely happy. Um, another pro is that I've heard some folks in rehab that I've talked to like, oh man, I want to do brain injury. I want to do spinal cord, but I don't know if I want to do like, I don't know how to choose between the fellowship. Um, but all in pediatric rehab, we still do everything, right? We are still essentially general specialists, I guess. Um, we work with every diagnosis and every different kind of subspecialty in, uh, in rehab, but just on a pediatric population. Um, so we still do pain management. We still do um, spasticity management, brain injury, spinal cord, uh, 
uh, limb loss, all those different things. Um, and that was one of the things that helped draw me to pediatric rehab as well. I didn't have to pick and choose one or the other. And if you like certain things more than others and you don't like certain things, you can still kind of pick and choose what you want to be, uh, do. So I personally am not as much into pain management or EMG, so I don't have to do those and I can do all the other stuff. Um, and so that's definitely one of the, the perks and pros. Um, we are pretty heavy uh, in the academic side, most of the jobs. Um, so that can be a pro or a con, depending on you know what your interests are. For me, that's a pro. I love working with uh, different trainees, fellows, residents, medical students, um, students from not medicine, like PA students, or, or not in like MD, DO, but uh, uh, MP students, PA students, we've worked with them as well. Um, cons, I would say the biggest one, the the, the for sure biggest one, um, other than like, oh, I don't like to work with children. Oh, that, that's the obvious one. <laughs> don't, don't choose this field. Um, the biggest con I would say is the length of training. Um, so uh, for those who don't know, uh, physical medicine rehabilitation residency is generally four years long. Uh, generally an intern year plus three, or you have a categorical where it's built in. Every fellowship out of rehab is only one year. So their brain injury, sports and spine, um, spinal cord, um, there's a couple others I'm forgetting, I'm sure. Uh, they're all one year. Pediatrics is two. And so that is now delaying your attending um, position by one extra year compared to fellowship or two if you want to stay general um, in comparison. So that may play a lot of um, downside in families uh, and situations that may, uh, of course, vary uh, depending on folks. And uh, of course, the salary is also going to be much less compared to your sports and spine and pain intervention guys. <laughs> um, and it may be very similar to a general rehab a physician that doesn't have to do fellowship. So um, I know a lot of people say, and, and for me, it's true, like I'm not in it for the money, but when you've got a family, mouse to feed, student loans to pay, it does play a role. And, and um, when the big decisions are come to say whether or not you pursue fellowship, I know uh, that these length of training uh, things definitely take a play a role for sure. Yeah, well, definitely is a good insight into that, especially like uh, the length of training is something that some people will consider about that. But uh, also the pro is that you, if you like academic and like uh, interact mm -hmm. with children and teaching people, then that's uh, something that uh, you should consider as well. And I know that, that the process of applying in the pediatric and fellowship mm -hmm. is a little bit different. Like you said, the length of training is different as well. It's two year. So what's the process of applying to a like pediatric BNR fellowship and how long, again, like uh, how long is the training, what topic will BNR residents learn while they are doing their fellowship as a BNR? Um, so that actually is a more complicated question, we'll, we'll say. Um, for the current residents who are already on the whole uh, PM&R residency track, the, um, you apply during your last year of residency, so during your fourth year. Um, you, I think the applications, all that stuff open like right away, essentially as soon as you start your fourth year. Um, you're going to want to have your letters of recommendation from folks that you've worked with, preferably somebody in pediatrics, at least one. <laughs> Um, and then you interview um, kind of that uh, fall time and then match is usually in the winter. Uh, so it's a pretty quick process and it's uh, a two-year fellowship. You, some programs start July 1st, right after your residency. Some have a little bit more wiggle room. Some don't start till a week later or a month later, depending on. So each, each one has their own thing, but everything is gonna be through ACGME match, um, just like all the uh, um, I don't know all the other fellowships, but um, every spot is through the ACGME match for um, uh, pediatric uh, rehabilitation. Now, for the medical students that haven't already applied to residency, there's actually three ways to get board eligible uh, for peds rehab. One is through what we just talked about, uh, regular uh, rehab residency plus fellowship. That'll make you board eligible. Uh, there are I think four right now combined residency spots in the country. I think each only take one person at a time. Uh, that's uh, Cincinnati, Colorado, um, DuPont, and I think VCU is, is the fourth one. 
And so this is out of medical school, you would uh, match into a combined residency where you're going to be general peds uh, board eligible, general rehab board eligible, and also peds PM&R. That length of training is five total years instead of six for the, um, the uh, residency plus fellowship. The third way to actually be board eligible um, is actually to do two separate residencies. So you do a general PEDS residency followed by a general rehab residency. You wouldn't have to repeat that one intern year because your whole three years of gen PEDS counts as that. That total length is six and a little bit harder to manage because you're essentially doing two separate residencies, two separate matches. Um, and sometimes some folks end up taking a gap year because you'd have to apply during your second year of general pediatrics residency to have everything run smoothly without taking that gap year. And if anybody has questions, they're always welcome to shoot me an email or, or, or contact me. I'm happy to explain those things. Um, so that would be kind of flat, like the weird thing. I don't think any other um, uh, rehab specialties or a lot of other specialties have that like couple different ways to uh, approach in. I, I completely forgot the second half of the question. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's something like very new that I heard of, like the three way yeah. to become a, a pediatric uh, physical medicine rehab. Yeah, especially the last one, like you have to do the pediatric and then you do a pediatric. That's very that one's, That one is super rare. The most yeah. common is going to be your um, uh, normal fellowship. Yeah, the novel. And, okay, yep. I see. Yeah, so my second part of the, the question is like, um, um, what topic, like if a BMR uh, resident go in and what topic do they learn more and what do they kind of learn doing the fellowship more yeah. as well? Yeah, so, so it's a lot of the same type of stuff you're learning for rehab residency, um, but now everything is going to be in the pediatric lens, right? How does all those rehab topics we've learned about in residency apply to somebody who's growing and changing and developing? Um, unlike your adults who are already done growing, you're just trying to get them back to their baseline. Right now, a child, what is their new baseline? How do you know where their uh, projected growth and, and development is? Because now you've had this change um, while they're still trying to develop and grow. So that's where some folks like um, neuropsychologists can help a ton with uh, projecting the learning um, and um, like neurologic uh, outcomes. Um, other things are like disease processes that you don't see on the adult side right away, like cerebral palsy, other congenital things. So those uh, are often new uh, for folks. Um, though I will say I have seen some cerebral palsy on the adult side uh, during my residency training, but it's different when, and for those folks, a lot of the issues with growth and development have already been taken care of and because they're done growing. Um, but even with something that's supposed to be a static disease that isn't progressive like cerebral palsy, you still have complications and issues and changes with growth and development. Their spasticity may get worse. Um, they're growing, so you need to update their equipment, all those things. Um, and then making sure that their growth is normal for them, but also normal for their disease process or, or what you can expect of it. Um, so that's, that's where the training is different. Uh, and you're really getting to that, what I was saying, saying before about that generalist specialist, that you're, you're still learning everything in, in rehab. So there's a lot to learn. So some folks, depending on where you went to residency, may be ready uh, after one year of fellowship. Some folks may not. Um, and I think that's why it's generally a two-year fellowship, just to make sure we cover all the bases, because the, the pediatric exposure during um, residency per ACGME requirements are not very, there's not a lot, right? It's still, uh, I think, two months total of your whole residency. Um, two out of 36 months, or I, I might be wrong about that, but um, not a lot. <laughs> so, um, and then we also work with things that are, maybe we do more on children like um, Botox and phenol injections. I know we do that on the adult side, but I feel like we do that more on the um, pediatric side than adults. Um, Backlift and pump management, again, that's that's both sides, but we have lots of kiddos on, on backlift and pumps. Um, it's probably a couple things I'm missing here and there, but the gist is that the kids are different. They're not just little adults. They are growing and developing and changing. And, and that's why it's important to learn about those things um, that we don't always necessarily see on a rehab residency that the pediatricians may from a normal growth and development. Now everything's altered. So you have to know the normals before you can know what's how to deal with the altered stuff.
Yeah, I totally agree with that, especially when you say like, what is their baseline now? Like, how you know like how they're gonna develop into a new baseline? Definitely need to, uh, the length of training is definitely uh, it's equivalent to how to figure that out. Uh, and um, I believe that you also a uh, BA, uh, a faculty of the BA, BC, BCMP BCMPMNR, the Baylor College Medicine BMNR uh, Fellowship as well. Is that correct? Um, I don't know if there's a distinction between the two. I don't, I, I, not, some of this stuff is kind of beyond my <laughs> um, awareness of how exactly everything works on that side. But uh, I'm, I do all of my normal day-to-day work at Texas Children's Hospital, um, mm-hmm. but I'm employed by, um, I'm under Baylor College of Medicine, um, and that's where our fellowship is under as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so f- to me, TCH, BCM, all that stuff is the same thing. That's see. just my day-to-day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see, I um, see. Uh, but I, I believe that you also involve a lot in the, the teaching as well, in yes. the pediatric size, uh, both for the fellow and the resident. So, um, so does, I just have a few questions regarding that the pediatric fellowship, Sorry. specifically at the Bella College of Medicine. Okay. Um, so what are some responses as a fellow at the program, what are some responsibility of a pediatric fellow at specifically at the PCM uh, BMNR? Yeah, so, so um, our fellows, uh, their responsibilities are getting that um, knowledge base, right, that, that you don't have as a resident um, that that needs that you need to pick up along the way to become a um, independent practicing uh, provider uh, on the pediatric uh, rehabilitation um, realm. Um, so all the things we talked about, all the, all those different things uh, they're learning. Um, but some of the things we also focus on more that um, you may not always get in, uh, during residency is um, systematic um, training and learning how to be in attending right and and because that's that's your next step um things like how do you manage your workflow and how do you work with residents and fellows and how do you how do you do the teaching um things like the mundane stuff that you know of course right now you don't have to deal with that i'm I'm dealing with daily billing note writing all that all that all that annoying stuff Um, but also things that are more programmatic, like figuring, oh, you know, do you want to take on the um, lecture schedule? What does didactic and building those things look like if you're going to be even more academic, right? Um, I'm not a big research guy. I, I know um, uh, some of my colleagues are, um, so I can't speak too much on the research side, but if, uh, if fellows are interested in research, you know, they're, um, they are certainly going to have opportunities to, to do those things. Um, everybody, whether you're not, you're required, or everybody, whether you are or are not interested in research, you're required to do at least a, a scholarly project and something in quality improvement because I think that's um, super important regardless of um, whether or not you're in research or not. Yeah. Um, right. So there is that ACGME uh, curriculum for our, our, our fellowships, but I then um, we, get, we have plenty of pathology and opportunities uh, here at BCM, uh, Texas Children's, uh, that our fellows um, will be busy if they want to be. <laughs> so talking about busy, how, how is the typical work schedule of fellow life as in, in terms of your knowledge about that? Um, so that's hard for me to say. Um, I don't, I'm not in uh, charge of the fellow schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was not a fellow here at BCM. So I don't know exactly what their schedules are like day to day. Um, but I would imagine it would be a little similar to residency schedules um, on the rehab side. So it's not as bad as the current intern you're in yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's uh, at, at uh, Baylor's uh, program here, we are uh, probably similar to other folks. Um, I can't speak for everybody. I've only done um, one fellowship and I can only compare to that. Um, it would be similar in terms of schedule from what I did as a fellow, mm-hmm. uh, where you were on kind of like blocks of rotations and the blocks were focusing on uh, different topics. So if you're on an outpatient block, um, you may be seeing you know, certain, certain types of um, uh, diagnoses and there's uh, different clinics to be in. And then when you're on the inpatient stuff, you're, you're focusing on things like the inpatient rehab unit and consults. Okay, all right. 
Yeah. And I know, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Yeah. Um, and I know that we have um, opportunities for our fellows to explore um, things that are part of our allied um, uh, health profession. So getting over to um, like New Motion or National Seating Mobility or our um, ATP companies um, to see how equipment is done, going to the orthotic places uh, to see how braces are made, talk with those folks and, and really get an exposure to the well-roundedness and um and the different things that we deal with that we may not always get to see um, because we're busy as an attending now that, you know, we have the opportunity and, and freedom to as a fellow. Yeah, that's uh, actually my next question. Uh, you already answered as I Oops. want to know. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, I just want to know, like, uh, as a fellow, like, what's the thing that you can do that be like a special thing you can do as a fellow, uh, not as an attending, but uh, you already answered that. So, yeah, that's very interesting that you can get more exposure in that in that regard as well. And uh, for a, uh, you know, for, for just, for this question is for like uh, the current PMNR residents who are interested in the pediatric PMNR. Um, again, what should they do to make them like stand out as a good candidate for like for the fellowship? Yeah, definitely number one, um, get that pediatric rehab exposure. Um, I know that's a little easier said than done for a lot of programs that don't have a lot of uh, heavy pediatric exposure. Um, and some programs don't have that elective or away rotation built into that schedule. But if you're really interested and you have that opportunity at home institution, go get go go do those rotations, right? Do those early enough so that you can you can really get a feel for for the specialty and see if that's something that's interesting um, of to you. Uh, and then, of course, if you're going to be applying, you're going to want those letters of recommendation. So, um, so be on your best behavior <laughs> um, and, and make sure that the attending that you're working with uh, knows that uh, pretty early on your rotation so that they can really get you a, a good letter. Um, I will say the pediatric rehab world is very small. Uh, um, we all know each other or know somebody who knows each other. Um, so it's a very small field. And, and so... Um, I think making sure that you really build some of those networking connections is, is uh, important. Um, if you don't have that opportunity at your home program, talk to your program director and see how they can make that work for you. Um, because it's your program director's job to help advocate uh, for you and help you get into fellowship. And so um, maybe they're able to get in an away rotation or squeeze in something to make it work or move some things around for you. Um, um, of course, that's going to be all institution specific. So I can't uh, um, uh, say how to go about doing that. But the, but the most important thing is getting exposure so that you know that you're interested in this. Um, and that when you interview for fellowships that, that you can really portray that message. Um, and that's what I would say for your rotations and in um, uh, kind of like your daily uh, workflow. In terms of extracurricular things, uh, if there's research or things going on on the pediatric side, certainly go and uh, pursue those. Uh, maybe it's not in rehab, but maybe it's something on the pediatric side. Um, there's pretty much often a lot of adaptive sports opportunities locally. Um, those are often very heavily um, volunteer driven, volunteer dependent. So go out and figure out, you know, um, is there a local YMCA that does programs? Uh, talk to them, see if they need uh, volunteers. Um, there are some national organizations that help with figuring out uh, where uh, some of these uh, opportunities are. Uh, Move United um, is one of them, you can Google that. Uh, look for those adaptive sports opportunities. You can even just Google adaptive sports in whatever hometown or, 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 or state you're in. Uh, find those opportunities and, and figure out where those are. And, and uh, not just adaptive sport, that's just where my interest is, but also adaptive recreation, uh, other activities, um, adaptive dance, um, you know, uh, music, uh, those types of things. Uh, where are we're really interacting with that patient population and get um, get some exposure to those things? Uh, uh, those will always be helpful. Yeah, those are very very good advice for those mm -hmm. very interested in the pediatric PNR as well. Uh, that definitely uh, talking about the adaptive sport. I think that's mm -hmm. also one of your big interests as well. And uh, I'm glad that you mentioned this. And so I just actually uh, these a few next few questions just uh, about you yourself in general. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I know you recently just start working as an attending for the pediatric PNR. Uh, so uh, what is a typical day in life? 
uh, as of you as a pediatric physiatrist and uh, is there any adaptive sport of that uh, component in the in your uh, typical day in lab as well Absolutely. So um, well, okay, it's December now. Um, so I'm 14 months uh, into being in attendings, a little bit over a year. Uh, I would say each attending's different uh, day-to-day uh, uh, life is a little different, uh, especially on the pediatric side, because some of us are going to be more heavy outpatient, some are more heavy inpatient. The setups and, and how things work in different um, places are going to be different as well. And then what your contract is with your department, you know, what is your role, right? Some of us, um, well, I'll say a lot of us are more clinically heavy, um, but there is a handful, some of us that are more um, research um, oriented. So um, there are these things called FTEs or um, uh, which measures kind of like your weekly time. So 1.0 FTE would be like your full-time um, employment uh, for the week. And so some things will be like 0.1. Uh, so one-tenth of your full-time would be half a day, per, for example, um, because your, your week is made out of 10 half days. And so... Um, um, my role is, uh, I think I'm like 0.8 or 0.9 clinical. So eight to nine half days, I'm seeing patients in clinic, right? Mm. Uh, whether that be in clinic or my inpatient role as the inpatient attending or on consults. Um, and then depending on what other people do, um, you know, sometimes you have some uh, time set aside for teaching and, and academics, and sometimes you have uh, some time set up for research. Um, some people may be 50-50, like your um, MD, PhDs. Um, me specifically, I have some admin time set aside for developing programs, adaptive sports work, and uh, general, like kind of those extracurricular things as an attending. Um, as well as getting lectures, uh, teaching stuff, uh, uh, more formal stuff uh, set up. So um, my day-to-day -day, day -day is pretty much kind of uh, 80 to 90% clinical and then 10 to 20% academic slash um, uh, adaptive sports slash admin stuff. But that's just me. I can't speak for the other uh, attendings. So. <laughs> I see. I see. And uh, so far, what are some of your favorite moments as a uh, PDA physiatrist at like, the Texas Children's Hospital right now? Oof. Um, I, it's hard to just pick one. Mm -hmm. uh, I would say day-to-day. -day, it's just that day-to-day -day interaction is, is something I, I always look forward to, um, whether it be a new child that, um, you know, it's scared coming to the hospital. They're not sure why they're there and, and um, helping to lighten up the mood for them and really let them know that, hey, hey I'm here to help you. We're mostly just going to play and um, let them be themselves and, and figure out how I can help those. That, that's always um, a, a great interaction. Uh, and hopefully that's a day-to-day -day interaction. Um, and uh, on the inpatient side, I would say kind of seeing that uh, more acute, quicker progress and, and really seeing the, um, the changes that uh, the kiddos go through um, is rewarding. Uh, it's very rewarding when they come back and you barely recognize them because they've done so well um, uh, recovering on that outpatient side um, that like those are always just, just great things. Um, I don't think I can share specific examples too much without, um, you know, violating HIPAA, HIPAA things, especially with uh, yeah. how unique some of the um, yes. um, <laughs> pathology can be. So I won't go into any specifics, but that's the general gist of, yeah. of rewarding um, um, times for sure. Yeah, totally understandable. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, Especially and, since uh, this is going on the internet. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> I don't want anybody to yeah. be like, oh, man, you were describing exactly my kiddo. What are you doing? Yes, definitely. And uh, you talk about adaptive sport you're working with right now. Uh, can you tell me a little bit like about uh, uh, your interest in that, uh, in that field? And what do you do currently in that adaptive sport field right now? Yes, absolutely. So um, as I said uh, earlier, uh, sports and um, uh, opportunities, both individual sports and team sports were a big part of growing up for me. Um, a lot of my friendships were from there. A lot of my experiences and growth as a person were, were from there, right? Um, both learning how to do things like teamwork, um, uh, sharing responsibilities, um, pushing yourself to compete, uh, and, and learning where your limits where you thought they were and where you can push them and how to achieve new things, set goals. Those things were super important. These were what was interesting um, to me, but uh, there are other um, 
uh, activities and things that will, will um, promote the same things. But I want that opportunity to be available for every child, whether you're, you know, your typical able-bodied person or somebody with a disability. Um, so if somebody's interested in it and they, and they want to figure out how to do it, it's not about how they can't do it, but how do we modify and make things so that they can do it? Um, I will pretty much do any sport. So um, uh, right now, uh, specifically with COVID going on, uh, some of the programs haven't fully opened up yet. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, part of my job at TCH is to um, build a database and figure out where some of these opportunities are so we can be a information guide and resource for our families. Um, trying to build up a program specifically with TCH right now, but with liabilities, red tape, uh, that is not moving quickly, I'll say. <laughs> so we shall see how, how that goes going yeah. forward. Um, but also it's um, building a database and, and uh, opportunities for uh, our residents or medical students, fellows, as well as our faculty and you know, non-faculty um, uh, employees of the hospital to be able to volunteer and help out with these programs because there's you know, you can't pay somebody to, to run these a lot of times and they're, they're just too much of a need. And so a lot of it is volunteer driven. Um, and somebody who's more severely disabled may need more, more one-on-one help. So it's not always just one-to-one. Sometimes you need to put two per two people per, um, per uh, student or athlete. Um, and, and so just volunteering, getting out there and, and helping make these kids days is, is a super important piece for sure. Um, one of the things I'm do, that I did as a fellow um, that I recently uh, went and did my refreshers for is adaptive skiing and snowboarding. Obviously, there is no uh, skiing or snowboarding here in Houston. Um, and so uh, that's going to be done in Colorado. But um, my role in that would be doing um, being the instructor for the actual kiddo. It's one-on-one. Uh, in the case of Sitski, it's actually two instructors per, per um, participant. Um, here in Houston, I'm trying to figure out how we can get all the different other sports going, like tennis, basketball. There are already some programs established with other institutions that um, uh, folks are already involved with. Um, and then somebody who is so weak that they need to use a power wheelchair to, to get around because they can can't stand and um, they can't even have the strength to push the wheelchair with their arms that they have to use power. Um, There's actually a power uh, wheelchair soccer uh, where you add a guard to the the, uh, power chair and that becomes kind of your legs um, and they are able to use their chair to swivel and and move the the soccer ball towards the goals. a little bit like Rocket League from what I was told from what the kids, but they don't get to fly along the, <laughs> the stadium. Um, so there's plenty of programs uh, uh, for that. Yeah, that's a very great uh, example of how you do with the adaptive sport. And you said you do own sports. So that, that, that's right there is really good. Especially when you compare with uh, the Rocket League, is the, the game, the, the video game as well. That's interesting. And uh you know, they also like have some, I, I know this because uh, there's some people that also very, um, the kids are very skillful with like video game as well. Mm-hmm. Even they play in like esports, like shooting game, they just, they're, those kids like very adaptive to that as well. So maybe that's Absolutely. something that, yeah, I hopefully can see that at the Texas Children Hospital as well in the future. Yeah. Actually, uh, funny that you mentioned that um, one, the person who is uh, in charge of the power soccer mm-hmm. uh, folks for our muscle, um, uh, muscular dystrophy patients, uh, she's actually uh, was approached me and figured, I was asking, hey, do you know if, uh, any of the residents or are you like video game savvy? Because they're trying to oh. figure out how to get a, uh, we're trying to figure out how to get a like a video game night mm-hmm. um, for the kiddos so that they can play online with other folks that we know are safe instead of random strangers um, and trying to figure out how we can rotate uh, the popular games right now, like Roblox or Minecraft, yeah. uh, Fortnite, and a bunch of other ones that uh, mm-hmm. I may or may not know about. <laughs> um, so that's something that um, it's one of the things on my plate of things to do. So I, I haven't see. chatted with our current residents yet about um, how savvy they are with um, computers and games and stuff. I know you are, so maybe I'm going to pull you into that next year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I'm there, I'll try it <laughs> for sure yeah yeah that's very like 
video yes. games something I'm very interested in as well. Yes, absolutely. So adaptive gaming, right, is, is super mm-hmm. important, right? There's adaptive sports and and um, uh, modifying how the um, athlete moves about space or equipment mm-hmm. and and the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. But something as simple as gaming too, right? Um, mm-hmm. Somebody who may have a contractor or something and they can't access the the controller or joystick in a certain mm-hmm. way. Um, there are recreational therapists and game therapists that can help with um, modifying the controls and those things so that they can mm-hmm. access those things and, and be able to game with the best of them. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I would love to see that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, I know you just also moved to uh, Houston as well. You're from the Northeast and you moved mm-hmm. to Colorado and now you're in Houston. How do you like the city so far? That is a good question. So I moved during COVID um, oh, yes. in, in, in kind of in the middle slash, I don't know, hard to say where the middle point end point is. Um, and so things were still definitely happening. So I'll say I haven't really explored the restaurant scene. Uh, from what I've heard, uh, Houston is very, very multicultural, uh, mm-hmm. uh, perhaps the most, if not definitely top three uh, most um, diverse city in the U.S. So you've got cuisines of all sorts of different um, um, uh, varieties and I've heard tons of great things. I haven't explored them myself yet because I've been kind of hesitant about getting into restaurants uh, and doing those things. I've been doing more outdoorsy things. Houston is a pretty um, spread out city so it's not like New York City, LA, or Chicago where everything's super dense. one end of like Houston proper to the other end can take 45 minutes to an hour to get to just because everything is so spread out. Plus, you know, you get some traffic here and there. And then there's also the greater Houston area that has, um, depending on how far you, you, you count out there. Um, but there's opportunities for a lot of different things. There's a cultural scene, sports scene, um, probably scenes of things I don't even know about because that's just not where my interests lie. Um, but there's plenty of parks as well. I've been playing a lot of uh, disc golf lately. So I've got some uh, um, some of these guys that you, you toss and throw. And um, Houston and Texas is actually a, a pretty good, uh, probably the best state for disc golf. And there's tons of different courses around uh, Houston as well. So that's actually where I was earlier today. I was playing a, a round of disc golf with uh, some of our residents. And uh, so um, that's what I've been up to in Houston. <laughs> that's great. That like you can go play thing around at the disco. I, I think I need to get into that because like I heard about it, but I haven't. I got you when you get here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't played it yet. Yeah, definitely. And uh, so you are a very resourceful person based on what we just talked about, what we're discussing so far. Uh, and you, I, I know that you have a lot of insight into the field BMNR as well as the pediatric rehab and medicine in general. So how can our listener connect with you online to learn more about you and as well as your um, program that you're teaching right now as well as the pediatric rehab as well? Absolutely. Uh, I guess I'm an old dinosaur. I don't have a lot of online presence with all like the social media, but um, I guess I do have a Twitter account. Um, uh, so I'm at Cosmo Quark. So at my first name, last name, no spaces, nothing funny like that. Um, so um, they can reach me uh, there, send me um, uh, a message and I can uh, uh, pass on any like emails or specific things if they want to um, get more in touch with me then that way. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'm going to put that uh, right in the video on watch it on YouTube. So it's going to be there or in the description of the podcast and uh, making sure that uh, you just uh, use that as a contact form for uh, our guest here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, thank you so much again for being here with us and talking about the pediatric BMR fellowship. Uh, I very appreciate that, especially you are the one that actually interviewed me uh, for the uh, BMR <laughs> at uh, Bella Coastal Medicine as well. And uh, I'm very uh, grateful for like, you accepting me in the podcast today. And uh, to our listener, uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we're going to see you guys again in the next podcast. Have a good night, awesome. everyone. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Bye.